Amen. Thank you all so much. Ah, oh, I am excited. Uh, as Nicole said, I, I, I believe that uh, not only this series, but the upcoming series in David, God is just going to continue to build upon the foundation that, that's been laying uh, over the last couple months. And I think he wants to take us into a new season. So Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight. We're just going to take this chapter by chapter. And uh, just a couple of, of things to, to remind us of about the author, Luke. Uh, Luke wrote two books in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke that we're going to finish on Sunday and the book of Acts. And they're not two separate books. They, they really are just part one and part two. And we need to look at them that way. By the way, Luke and Acts make up a significant part of the New Testament. Uh, even with all of the books that Paul wrote in the New Testament, Luke and Acts takes up a greater part of the New Testament than any other. Something else to consider is that Luke is the only Gentile writer of Scripture. Every other author of Scripture, and obviously the Old Testament and the New Testament, were Jewish. Luke is the only Gentile to write Scripture. He was a physician. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. It, it sort of helps you to maybe, when you read his books, you understand sometimes why he's so interested in the the medical side of things and healings and the ailments of people and all of that. And we'll be getting to that. So here we are in Acts chapter 1. And you'll see there that he starts out by saying to Theophilus, this one man that he wrote both Luke and Acts to, that he wrote the former account, the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. A couple of things. One, Luke humanly only intended these two books to encourage one person. God had other plans, right? God now has taken these two books and used them down through the last couple thousand years to encourage millions of people. It is a reminder to us that sometimes our intention is just this little thing over here, and God says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to enlarge it. I'm going to expand it. I'm going to multiply it. And we've got to let that up to God. But we also learn here that Luke points out that Jesus began in the Gospel of Luke, all these things. But now he's going to continue his ministry through his people by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Luke tells us that until the day, verse 2, that he was taken up to heaven, and we're going to talk about the ascension in just a few verses, after he had given orders, and don't miss this, this is important, by or through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The first mention of the Holy Spirit, but he plays the 
prominent role in the book of Acts. In fact, even here in the first chapter, you see the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 2. You see him mentioned in verse 5. You see him mentioned in verse 8. And you see him mentioned in verse 16. But here's what's significant. And this is why it's important to sometimes slow down when we're reading the Bible because we can read something and just keep on going and go, wait a minute. Is that what I think it said? Yeah, that's what I think it said. Notice that even after Jesus rose from the dead, even now in his glorified body, as he's going around in his resurrected body, notice he is still going through the Holy Spirit. He's not acting independently even after he rose from the dead, verse 2 tells us that he's still working through the Holy Spirit because he wants to model and be the example to his followers that this is how it's to be done. This is how you are to do it from now on. Once he comes into your life, do it all things by the Spirit. In fact, as we were singing that, I, I wanted to mention how different would our life be every day if all that we did every day was just by the Spirit. <laughs> that we never did anything in our own power, that we did all things supernaturally through the power and provision of the Holy Spirit. How different would our life be only by your Spirit? I, that, that phrase from that song is going to be a constant reminder and even an encouragement to me to make sure that everything that I say, everything that I do is spirit-led and spirit-empowered. And that's exactly what Jesus was modeling here for his own followers. In verse 3, and, and you see it here in these first couple verses again, what's Luke wanting his audience, Theophilus, to know? The presence of Jesus Christ was so strong after he rose from the dead. And these first couple of verses of Acts is all about reminding Theophilus, Jesus, he rose from the dead. He is very much alive, and nothing or no one could hold him in the grave. So Luke says, verse 3, to these same apostles, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. In fact, over a 40-day period. Irrefutable evidence that he really was alive. 40 days he showed himself alive to many, many, many people. Why didn't the whole world believe? Even those who saw, even those who heard from eyewitnesses, why didn't they believe? Because it's more than just God giving evidence. God has given enough evidence. He's always given enough evidence. But we must come to grips with the fact that there is a spiritual battle that is taking place every day for the souls of every human being, including ours and the well-being of our soul. There is a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle. And, and, and Paul even says 
The reason many have not come to faith is because Satan has blinded their minds so that they do not believe the gospel. You see, there's, there's an invisible world that, that's just right on the other side of us. It's not like way far out there. It's always just right there. And, and this is why God wants his people to, to be in touch with him supernaturally and to realize that there's a supernatural spiritual world. It's part of why Jesus says, they that worship me must worship me in spirit because I'm spirit and, and I'm a supernatural God and there's a supernatural enemy and there's a supernatural and spiritual world war going on and all of this. That's why, though God has given plenty of evidence why not everybody is believing because people's souls are being battled over every day and there is a struggle that is taking place in the hearts and minds of individuals every day listen i was sharing with the elders last night every wednesday every sunday i see i sense through the spirit of god those who come into this auditorium and they're fighting and they're struggling with God. You know, we can sense that, some of us. We can see that. Even Christians, we we, we see that sometimes the the fight and the struggle that's going on of of God speaking into your lives and and of him wanting to to take you somewhere and you don't want to go or... to, to, he's encouraging you to trust him in something and you, you want to, you know, hold on to it yourself. We sense and see those struggles going on because there's battles going on all the time. But, but Luke wants us to, to all be reminded it's not due to lack of evidence. Jesus was here for 40 days, basically saying, here I am. And yet... Only certain ones believed. It's never that God has not given enough proof. It's never that God has not given enough evidence. It is that man can have all the evidence that they need, but there's that spiritual warfare going on. And there's minds that are being blinded and there's hearts that aren't ready to be open. To the Lord, and we'll talk more about that on Sunday. He was seen by them over a 40 day period and spoke about matters, notice, concerning the kingdom of God. He was still teaching and preaching all 40 days, and his primary message was the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the place where God reigns as king. It's not just a physical kingdom that's going to come to earth one day. In fact, God's kingdom is evident right here in this church. In every life where God is king, that's where the kingdom is. The kingdom then is in you if you recognize God as king. While he was with them, he declared, verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but as we've sung about, wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. Oh, Let's talk about this. The word wait is all about patience. (laughs) 
And God was saying to his people, I need you to be patient here and wait here in Jerusalem because I'm going to fulfill what I promised, but it hasn't happened yet, and you can't go forward until it's happened. So you've got to stay in place because you're not equipped yet. You're not empowered yet to be able to do what I need you to do. And so you've got to wait until you move ahead. Patience. And listen, every time God asks us as his people to wait, it's always worth the wait. God will never ask you and I to wait on him for something that it's not worth the wait. Because I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself, but you understand the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon his people. Therefore, there's no way. They would have fallen flat on their face. They would have failed miserably had they tried to progress until the promise was fulfilled. They had to wait so that they could be equipped, so that God could put all the pieces together that, that they needed in order to move ahead. So I want to apply that to our lives. If God is asking us as a church or asking you to wait on something, there's a very great reason why God is asking to wait. Not all the pieces that he needs to put together have been put together yet. N not all the equipment, not, not all the stuff that, that we need either individually or as a church to move further is in place yet, and that's why we need to wait. If we run ahead of God, we will fail and fall flat on our face. But if we learn to wait on the Lord and be patient and go at his pace, then We'll be ready for everything that we come in contact with because he will make sure that before we take that next step that we are where we need to be and that we have everything that we need. And when he told them to, to wait in Jerusalem, folks, again, I, I mentioned this, all the time, we can't even imagine how uncomfortable that was for these followers. They wanted to get out of town. Jerusalem was the place where their Lord and leader was crucified. The last place they wanted to wait was Jerusalem. Sometimes God asks us to wait and wait in a very uncomfortable place or uncomfortable state. But their reasoning behind it was that we're in danger here. And, and what happened to our Lord could happen to us. And God wanted to strengthen their faith in him by saying, you wait where you think you're vulnerable and where you think you're in danger, but what you're going to learn if you trust me is that if you're in my will, you're in the safest place that you can be. And, and there's nothing going to happen to you because I'm going to make sure of it because I'm your God and I'm watching out for you and I've got you. So you wait there in Jerusalem as uncomfortable as it is. And sometimes God places us and allows us to stay in uncomfortable places so that we can learn to trust him more. Because he knows what he's doing. And he doesn't want us to take one step forward without having everything in place because he knows what the future holds. And he knows what each of us and what we need as a church 
for what's coming. And therefore, he will at times say, wait here until I have everything in place and everything in you that you're going to need, and then let's move forward. Wait, wait. It's worth waiting for. The other word that I want to key in on here is the word promised. The Father promised something, and Jesus relayed that promise to his followers. Listen, the Father would never promise what he could not fulfill. God will never promise what he does not fulfill. So that's why, too, he wants us to learn to wait, because Many times when God asks us to wait, the fulfillment of that promise is further down the road. It doesn't happen immediately. The fulfillment doesn't come at the same time as the promise. The promise comes in one season and the fulfillment comes in another season. And that's why we've got to learn to wait on God's promises to be fulfilled. But they will always be fulfilled because God is faithful. And God's word is always trustworthy. Verse 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. One of the reasons why when we baptize, we fully immerse, we get people fully wet, is because it is a great picture of even the baptism of the Spirit. When, when, when you and I accept Christ as our Savior, we are baptized by the Spirit. And the Spirit then comes into our life and fully indwells us. And, and we don't get the partial Spirit. We don't get half the Spirit, just as baptism is an illustration, we get fully immersed in the Spirit of God. Fully wet. That's why sprinkling is not an accurate depiction of the Greek word baptizo. And it doesn't then give a good picture even of the baptism of the Spirit because many people could walk away thinking that baptism is, is simply sprinkling as if I, I just get a little, a little bit of the Holy Spirit. No, no. When you and I accept Christ, we are baptized into the body of Christ through the Spirit, and we get the Spirit, all of him. That there's no more that we need of the Spirit at that point. We are fully equipped at that point. In fact, Jesus said it this way. In John 16, 7, he, he tells his followers, he says, I'm telling you a solemn truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the advocate does not come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And I love that Jesus uses the word advocate to describe the Holy Spirit. In fact, I, I think even a better word that you, that you could use for that translation of that word in the original language is helper. That's what an advocate is. He is the helper. And I want you and I 
to learn to look at the Holy Spirit who lives within us as our ultimate supernatural helper. He is in us every day to help us, to assist us in everything, with everything, you see. And Jesus says, once you have him, you'll have through him everything that you need. Again, that's why we see the people in Acts who were the same people in the Gospels so different. How, could, how can you explain that? They, they believed in Jesus in the Gospels. They were followers. They were disciples. What was, this, what was the dramatic difference between the followers of Christ in the Gospels and the book of Acts? The presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And that's what our study of the book of Acts, if there's one thing I think God wants to just reinforce in all of our lives and strengthen in our lives, it's the difference that the Holy Spirit of God can make in our lives every day. And when you and I learn to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and know the resource that we have inside of us fully, fully, then there's nothing that we're deficient in. There's nothing that we're lacking in. So verse 6, they gathered together. They began to ask him, Lord, is it time for you to restore the kingdom? Because remember, he's talking about the kingdom. And, and again, these, these Jews, they're, they're just constantly focused on the physical, the material, the temporal. And, and Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking about the kingdom because obviously he's been teaching about the kingdom. But he wants them again to see it's more right now about the spiritual and the invisible and the supernatural aspect of the kingdom. The, the visible, temporal, or visible, material, physical, it will come one day, but right now, that's not the focus. And so Jesus says to them, verse 7, you're not permitted to know the times of the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. What does this perplexity of his followers remind us of? A couple things. One, what should we do? Not focus on the temporal, physical, material things as much as focus on the supernatural, spiritual, eternal things. Yeah. And the second thing that this teaches us is let's not focus on the things that God has not revealed to us. Let's focus on what he has already revealed to us. We can spend an awful lot of time spinning about the things that we want to know that God hasn't told us, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that God's already told us that we should be focused on. And that was part of the disciples' issue always. They were always focused on stuff that they didn't need to be focused on because if God wanted them to know or they needed to know, God would have revealed it to them. Jesus says, it's, you don't need to know that because that's not your mission. Your mission now is going to be to be my witnesses. So notice verse 8. Again, one of the key verses. Besides, wait for the promise of the Father in Jerusalem. Verse 8. You will receive power. By the way, that is God's supernatural power. Supernatural power. Amen. 
when you and I receive the Holy Spirit of God, obviously then we have God living inside of us, which means we now have supernatural power available to us. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The church was begun in power. And the church is to continue in power. The church of Jesus Christ should be known for the spiritual supernatural power that is evident in our midst. We should not be afraid of the demonstration of the power of God. We should pray for it. We should welcome it. We should expect it. We should anticipate it. In our fellowship here, God wants all of us to be more and more open to the demonstration of his supernatural power in our lives. And why is God primarily giving us all this supernatural power so that we can be his witnesses. Now, I want you to look at that little word in front of my witnesses, because that's key. Jesus is saying, you need to witness about me. <laughs> You're my witnesses. But notice the little word in front of my witnesses. What is it? Be. You know what God is reminding us of? In order to witness effectively, it's about being, not doing. Jesus doesn't say, now you get out there and you do this. No, he says, be my witness, meaning that it is a 24-7 thing. Seven days a week, 365 days. It's just everything we do, everywhere we go, everybody that we come in contact with, we as his people are to be witnesses of him. We are to reflect him. We are to do it in such a way supernaturally through his Holy Spirit that those especially that don't have the Spirit yet in their life or even other Christians that haven't learned to really tap into the Spirit sort of scratch their heads and look at us and go, how are they doing that? How, how do they have that, that attitude? How, how can they navigate that situation in their life? Where are they getting that from? How are they being sustained? Where are they being? It's all about not doing witnessing, because a lot of times when we think about witnessing, we think only about evangelism. We think about going out and sharing a tract and sharing the gospel. And I'm not saying that that's not being a witness, but I'm saying Jesus has so much more involved. Jesus is trying to get us, as well as his followers, to see you are to be my witness all the time, everywhere. You're just, you wake up, you're being my witness. 
because you are to walk in the presence, provision, and power of the Holy Spirit who now lives in you. And you should be really different in everything you say and do. And everything that you're involved in should be evidence that I'm alive and that my ministry is continuing through you and I, through my spirit, am empowering you and enabling you to do everything that you're doing. That really now expands the idea of witnessing, doesn't it? That means you and I are a witness to the people in the grocery store. And I'm pointing the finger of conviction at me right now by saying, and on the highway when I'm driving around. To the people at the coffee shop that I go to. Everywhere and anyone and anything, we are to be his witnesses. It's way bigger than just sharing the gospel with someone who's lost. That's part of it. But it's so much bigger than that. And God is saying, I, I want your witness to go all over the world. It can start in Jerusalem, but then it's going to expand. And, and the book of Acts is all about this expansion of the church that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And my message and who I am and what I'm all about, it's going to spread all over the world. After he had said this, while they were watching him, verse 9, he was lifted up and taken up from their sight. They were staring into the sky. Two angels come in white clothing and stand near them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up in the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. I want you to look at those words. Jesus will come back. That's the promise. That's the promise. You see in these first 11 verses, the presence of Jesus in the first couple of verses, the perplexity of the disciples in the middle of it, and then the promises that you see here. The promise of the Father for the Holy Spirit and the promise of Jesus' return one day from the angels. So the 11 disciples, verse 12 and 13, and they're all named there, they return after his ascension from the Mount of Olives and they come back to Jerusalem. And they went upstairs to this room and all 11, obviously, minus Judas, are there. And I want you to notice some things about these folks. Even before the Holy Spirit enters into the picture, there were some, some qualities, some, some characteristics about these early followers that, that you and I should follow. All these continued together in prayer with one mind. There was a consistency continued. There was a camaraderie together. There was an emphasis on prayer. And it also says they had one mind. It literally means to share the same passion. That's what God is looking for in his people today. He wants to draw us together and he wants to see a consistency in our lives where we're consistent 
in our worship, in our prayer, in our time in his word, in, in, in our time in his house, in our time. He wants to see consistency. He wants to see camaraderie, that we're doing this together Amen. as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're coming together, not isolating ourselves, not staying apart, and that prayer is going to be such a powerful element in the early church, and, it sh and we're going to actually even look at prayers, dynamic prayers in the book of Acts, and we're going to study prayer because when the Holy Spirit is in charge and directing our life, he will continually be directing us to turn to the Lord and to commune and communicate with him. And then one passion. Yes, we're diverse. We come from all kinds of different backgrounds and cultures and even spiritual backgrounds. But when the Holy Spirit is in charge, he will allow one passion and that is that we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and it's all about Jesus. And that we don't get caught up in other things. We keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing from the Holy Spirit will always be exalt Jesus Christ. Focus on him. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Ah. Oh, He's been restored, and now he's rising. He's, he's stepping out. He's stepping forward. God may be moving for some of you, like Peter, to step up and step forward like you never have before. And listen, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, God's going to move some people to step up and step forward. God's going to say, you need to rise You've been sitting too long. You've been, and maybe you've kept yourself down or through like Peter, you, you failed and, and, and you're allowing your spiritual enemy to, to keep you down. And God's all about restoration. God says it's time to come back. And that may be what some of you need to hear. There were 120, verse 15, that started out. And then Peter says, brothers, verse 16, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Notice now too, turning to the scriptures, turning to the word of God. And notice what Peter says. Even before the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, God is opening up his mind and his heart to be able to understand and put if you will, pieces of the puzzle of his word together and see things that he hasn't even seen before. And what Peter is realizing is it was the Holy Spirit that literally was speaking through David when he wrote Scripture. Amazing, isn't it? It's exactly what Peter said in his epistle. In 2 Peter 1.21, when he's describing divine inspiration, how was the Bible written? He says, men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. I love that. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. Folks, that, that's the way all of us should live our lives every day, that we just let the Spirit of God carry us along throughout our day. Again, it's all about the difference that the Spirit of God will make. And Peter now has seen... Guys, gals, 
This was all foretold, Judas's betrayal, not specifically Judas, but that one would betray our Lord. It, it was predicted, and now we just see the unfolding of it, the fulfilling of Scripture. And he talks about the particulars of Judas's demise. But then he says there's something else the Scripture's pointed out. And that is that God is a God of restoration, as we've seen with Peter, and he wants to restore that number back to 12. God is a resolver. Some of us like to make sure things are resolved in our life, that they're sort of set right again. Well, guess where we get that from? God. And I want to encourage all of us tonight God is eventually going to restore and resolve all things in his universe. It might, it might be that it waits till eternity to happen, but I want to assure you of something. God is a God of resolving things and restoring things. And God has promised us that he will resolve and restore all things in his universe one day. If not now, he will one day. And that's exactly what he did with the 12. The Bible not only predicted that one would betray Jesus, but that one would have to take his place so that the number 12 could be restored once again to the apostles. So notice what they did. They nominated two people, verse 23. Then they, guess what, prayed they turn to the Lord to guide and direct them because they acknowledge, Lord, you know their hearts. And then they cast lots. Now, let me say this. Even in the casting of lots, they were relying on the Lord to reveal his choice through that. But I want to point this out. Once the Holy Spirit came into their lives, you will never see another reference to the casting of lots to determine God's will ever again in Scripture. This is the last time. Because now when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, we are even taught in his word that we are to allow the Holy Spirit to help us as the helper to make the decisions that we need to make. As we turn to God in prayer and as we turn to his scriptures. They didn't do anything wrong. This was a transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Covenant and the New Testament. And again, the Spirit had not yet come upon them. So they were just doing the best that they could. And they did pray. And they did nominate two that they felt were worthy candidates to take Judas's place. And we know that the Bible teaches in the book of Proverbs that, the, if you will, the lots are thrown out there, but the determination of what shows up is of the Lord because he's sovereign. And so the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was then replacing and restoring the position that Judas forfeited. By the way, we could have went into a lot of that tonight, how tragic, again, the story of Judas is that he forfeited such a privileged and honored place in his life. He was one of the 12 
that, that was right there with Jesus, but he forfeited it. And there's a reminder to us that throughout history, many, many people have forfeited the privileges that they have been given in the Lord because they chose the things of this world over their Savior. But God is always a God to resolve things and restore things. And if someone forfeits that position, God will always raise up somebody else to take their place, just as he did with Matthias and the 12. As we finish tonight, I again just want to remind us through the, the songs of worship that we sung tonight and that we learned that, that new song by the Spirit. That, that, and then we, we examined Acts chapter 1 and, and we've seen already, even before the Spirit is poured out, what a prominent role the Holy Spirit was playing in these men and women's lives. This is the secret, if you will, of what living for Christ is all about. This is, this is the, the key ingredient to, to a church being a dynamic spiritual force that can impact its world for Christ. It's all about letting the Holy Spirit supernaturally work through all of us and take us way beyond what we could ever do on our own, in our own flesh. Learning to live supernaturally through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the encouragement God wants to give all of us as we start our journey through this amazing book called Acts. Father, we thank you tonight for what we've experienced here. We thank you for the presence of your spirit, not only in us, God, but with us here tonight. We, we know you are in our midst, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your favor and your blessing and your moving and your working, God, in our church and in our lives. And I pray, God, that, that our eyes will be open, that our ears will be opened, that our hearts, that our minds will be opened by you, that we will be willing to allow you to Open us up to new possibilities through your spirit. God, you are the God of no limitations. You are the God that nothing holds you back. And God, you want your people to get to a place with you where we don't look at the limitations. We, we don't look at, at what's holding us back, but we are riveted upon you, our great and awesome and amazing God, that nothing is too hard or difficult for God, and that there's nothing beyond what we could do when we walk lockstep with you, God. When we are partnering with you, there's nothing that can stop us because you are the unstoppable God. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that, Lord, you'll just open us up to the possibilities ahead for us individually and for us as a church as we move through this great journey through this great book. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week.